Hello, and welcome to another O Word with me, Gareth Jones. Have you ever noticed at the back of any Welsh national opera programme the hundreds of names under the heading of supporters? These individuals, businesses, trusts and foundations, donate up to £2 million a year to Welsh National Opera. Opera's always depended on such philanthropy, but what exactly motivates people to give? In this episode, I'll be finding out. Rebecca Evans was a good place to start, I thought. She is, of course, one of our great sopranos, but she herself is involved with a wide range of charitable causes. Well, Rebecca Evans, welcome to The O Word. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to see you. And um, in this episode, we're asking, why do people give money to opera? Before we get there, I wanted to ask you, I bet that you have been in many a production or performance which has really seen the benefits of charitable giving. The show may not even have got off the ground without money from philanthropists. Am I right? Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of the time, I think the singers that are on stage performing aren't even aware that their performance has been made possible by the generous donations of uh, syndicates and individuals and companies. I, I think sometimes we're oblivious to the fact of how much work has gone in behind the scenes to even get the opera into the performance stage. Or even into the planning stage, you know, sometimes. Too numerous to mention, I imagine. But can you just think of some recent ones? Well, I mean, Colwinston Trust were absolutely incredible when we did the Rosen Cavalier uh, three years ago. Uh, There was uh, the Strauss syndicate that um, Matthew Pritchard um, created. And, uh, you know, there are so many, many generous people out there that uh, give, you know, and faltering amounts of, uh, of of money when you know money is required, a little phone call is made, and you know these people come forward all the time. You've met quite a few philanthropists, uh, Rebecca. What do you think motivates them generally? Well, I think that they have a supreme generosity, first of all. Um, They themselves are giving, you know, and let's face it, the performers in opera and classical music or pop music or any kind of, uh, any genre of music, we give. And, you know, it's their absolute love of the art form, whichever form it is. Opera has always relied on philanthropists and um, you wouldn't ever see the light of day some of this stuff um, because it's an expensive art form. Well, it's, it's the most expensive art form at all you know the the, the huge spectacles that we see on stage um, or have seen on stage and um, up until Covid um, you know have totally relied on on the generosity of these philanthropists and they just would not have uh, occurred without them. And let's face it, you know, the basic need, uh, singing is, is a human need. It's, it's a requirement. Music is so healing. It's, it's like a food. You're oh. involved with the Colwinston Trust, which you've just mentioned. Yeah. They do huge amounts, don't yes, they? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. It's, it's an extremely generous um, organisation. Yes, I am a trustee and very proud to be a, a trustee. And uh, it's, it's just incredible that the difference, you know, for instance, just the Colwin, Colwinston Trust makes on, um, you know, a yearly basis financially. It's, it's just quite incredible, really. And that's not the only thing you do. You, you give quite a lot of your time, I know, to building these relationships. What sort of things do you do? You do? 
Well, um, actually, you know, it, it, I don't see it as um, an extra thing. I, I see it as part of what we do and what's expected of us. Um, of course, you can say no to going to any of the functions that we're invited to, but, but why would you? These people are incredibly generous and um, it's, it's such fun for us to see them enjoy meeting, you know, opera stars or whatever we, we are. I don't know if we're, we're stars really, we're just normal people that um, sing a tune or, or two. Um, but it's just lovely that we can involve them, particularly in our celebrations after opening nights and you know if it's gone very well and if they've been involved in the generation of the, um, of the funding. I mean why not, you know, give them some time. They deserve it. And, and it's joyous for us to meet the personalities behind these people that have been so extremely generous to us. Everyone feels part of a team that you've all contributed to putting something on. Yes, that's exactly what it is, because, you know, without makeup artists, without wig artists, without, without the crew, without the orchestra, and the singers, chorus, etc., etc., if I've forgotten anybody, I probably have, um, forgive me, it, it just would not take place with, without um, the, the sponsor's sublime generosity. So yes, it's total teamwork from the fundraising department, you know, to, to the performers and we all need each other. How are you feeling about the future? Because I was looking at the Col Winston Trust's website and of course everything is suspended at the moment. Well, I mean, it's a very precarious time. We have to remain hopeful that things will improve. And, um, you know, I think the time um, of the big spectacle, the big production um, is probably limited for now until we can get back to some kind of a, a new normality. Uh, it'll have to be more about the music and, um, you know, think about chamber music, Think about composers such as Mozart and Handel, Britain, Monteverdi, that require smaller groups. And we go back to the grassroots, basically. We go back to where it all started, look at the Commedia dell'arte, and uh, you know how opera evolved from there. And maybe we just have to take a look at the past to see our future. What does the future hold for you then? Is that the direction you're going, do you think? Well, I think it's the direction for everyone. You know, I have, uh, I still have a lot of Mozart in my diary in 2022-23. Of course, we still don't know about uh, Rosencavalier next year at um, WNO. Who knows? That's, that one's in the lap of uh, the gods and the COVID vaccine. Um, but let's keep our fingers crossed and plan for success and always hope for the best, really. Let's do so, yes. Well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, you've given generously, as usual, Rebecca. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. One of the biggest benefactors in opera is Harry Hyman and his wife Melanie Meads.
Harry runs a property business in London and gives around £50,000 a year, supporting the International Opera Awards and various companies and projects. He's a member of WNO's Verity Syndicate, which supported the company's recent Verity trilogy. He told me he's particularly proud to be involved with Opera from Wales. So, Harry, um, welcome to The O Word. This episode, we're looking at um, what motivates people like you to give money to opera. So what is the motivation for you? Uh, well, to be perfectly honest, I really love opera as an art form. I think it is um, a wonderful combination of drama, music, um, costume, uh, explores the range of human emotions. And, and I don't think it's ever been something that has been able to make money because it is so fiendishly expensive to put on. If you think about a conventional opera production with a chorus, with an orchestra, with six or seven principal singers, it becomes very difficult to make the, to square the circle. And even since the times of Beethoven and Haydn and Wagner, it's needed benefactors. I wouldn't be so grand as to call myself a benefactor, but if I could help in a small way, with cultural output. That's something that I am fortunate enough to be able to do. And it's something that I enjoy doing. And I think you can feel a part of it. And at the end of a performance, you can feel that you've helped to put something, something forward for pe other people to enjoy. Well, you are a benefactor and, and quite a big one too. Tell us what, what sort of giving you've been doing over the years. But I do like to spread it around a bit. And I really, really um, admire the work the Welsh National Opera does. I think it undoubtedly punches above its weight and I am quite intimately involved with opera because as I'm sure you know I founded the International Opera Awards in 2012 with John Allison from Opera Magazine and the objective of that is to give out a series of awards to recognize and reward success in opera because I think it deserves to um, have its own set of awards to raise the profile of opera in the community generally because I think as, as a generalization, it's a little bit reluctant to raise its head above the parapet. And thirdly, most importantly, to provide a set of bursaries for aspiring talent in opera from around the world. And in a normal year, and this is not a normal year, but in a normal year, we give out 50 to 60,000 pounds worth of bursaries to typically younger, but not exclusively younger, and not always singers, but typically singers who need to further their career after music college before they sort of make it in inverse commas within the opera singing fraternity. So supporting new talents really important for you then? Yeah, very, very. I think uh, it's a really tough road to, to, to travel down, particularly if you don't come from a sort of fortunate middle-class professional background. Uh, I'll, always, I'll always remember being approached by a lovely girl whose career has gone on and blossomed, whose father is a refuse collector. Uh, and, and, you know, what an amazing journey she's been on. Um, but she wasn't with, from a sort of typical middle-class background where her parents could afford her to give her some help. And we have another bursary winner who comes from another, another country, not exactly European, who has a, has a living permit but doesn't have a work permit to be in Britain and therefore can't work to support herself. And, of course, the fees that music colleges charge are very much higher for overseas students than UK students. Mm. So it's no. tough, very tough. And it's the sort of thing perhaps that wouldn't happen without the sort of donations that you're into. 
Yeah, I, I've been very pleased to help a number of syndicates for the Welsh National Opera. But it's not a one-way street. I mean, we get so much back from WNO in terms of listening to very interesting talks by the conductor, by the director, uh, by the singers, being able to see uh, Zitzprobe and dress rehearsals and getting to meet people from the cast after um, and, and all sorts of social functions. So it's really become a, a fantastic social community uh, for my partner, Melanie and I, and we're very pleased to be able to support it. And we've met some really lovely people and had some brilliant experiences, which are just up there amongst the very finest things I've ever done, frankly. Hmm. Can you think of a particular musical highlight that uh, you felt a part of because you had given something to it? Well, uh, Bryn Turfell, uh in Falstaff. We were very, very lucky to be invited to a syndicate member's house in London to have a recital for 25 of us by Bryn Turfell himself with, um, uh, with the musical director of the WNO at the time performing on the piano, Bryn Turfell no more than six feet away, supper, a glass of wine. I was just unbelievable. Just really <laughs> unbelievable. You don't uh, forget moments like that, do you? No, no, not, not at all. And then meeting with members of the cast after um, uh, performances, um, particularly some world premieres that I've been to uh, in Cardiff. And I think Cardiff has got such a beautiful opera house, beautiful, beautiful opera house. It is stunning, and the acoustic in it is brilliant. Everybody makes you feel so welcome that it's a sheer delight to come to it. Well, the company must be doing something right if it's attracting support from people like you based in London. I really, I think the Welsh do have a capacity or a tendency to be brilliant at singing. Go to a rugby match and you will hear. Um, and I think the chorus, I'm going to start with the chorus, I think the chorus is absolutely knockout. They did actually win uh, an International Opera Award some years ago. I think the musical direction is like fantastic. So I think when you have a, an artistic company and the components of it at the peak of their game, it's certainly something that I'm very, very happy to support. And that doesn't mean I don't support the ENO, I don't support the Royal Opera House, uh, and I support lots of other um, things as well as supporting the International Opera Award. So it's a real part of my life and I, I think I would miss it. I have missed it since the beginning of lockdown. So Harry, if we rely on the largesse of people like you, isn't there a risk that we'll let the government off the hook? Yeah, for sure. I absolutely agree. I mean, it's, it's something where government has to step up to the plate and we're way behind our European um, compatriots. I think there are 60, 70, 80 opera companies in Germany supported by the state, whereas maybe there are six that have recourse to um, the state funds in, in, in Britain and certainly not to anywhere near um, the level that they get in places like Germany. I'm not saying one's better or the other. I'm just drawing the comparison. So, but I think, as I said at the beginning, opera's always needed um, private benefactors in order to get by, but it does need a very important contribution from the state. 
Yeah. We've heard recently, haven't we, some controversies, I'm thinking um, Purdue, um, you know, the Sackler family, the, the big, yeah. uh, some big institutes giving back money. Um, do you think there is a danger that um, philanthropists just use this technique to launder their reputation? <laughs> well, launder is a very strong word. Okay. Um, I mean, people ask questions about the Tate Gallery. Mm. Um, you know, the Tates made their money from sugar, I believe. Mm. Um, it's very difficult, isn't it? And it's, it, it's, it's hard to judge by today's standards what went as perfectly normal in those days gone by. Uh, I'm not for a moment um, supporting it or vindicating it, but I think you do have to look very closely at where money comes from uh, to make sure that it comes from a legitimate source, which is a very good idea as to why it should be diverse and come from a, a large number of small people rather than from any, any one single beneficiary. In, a, in an ideal world. But of course, we don't live in an ideal world. Um, but I, I, I think for most of the people that, that support my International Opera Awards, and certainly from my, from my, my standpoint, it's, it's, we're not laundering reputations. We're trying to give opera a fighting chance of surviving. And certainly from my International Opera Awards, we have a huge um, 50 to 100 people that give us money every year. Uh, and which really, and they really enjoy being involved in some of those intimate performances and seeing uh, the careers of people they've supported blossom. So, a little and often from many people, I think, is the way forward on philanthropy. Well, thanks very much for talking to me today. And I hope um, that's okay, Gareth. If there's anything else you want to say, now's your chance. Well, I'd like to thank WNO and actually tell them to stick at it because I know it's a really, really tough time for people in the performing arts. The fact that performing arts is so hard to do. Uh, Zoom, Zoom choruses are all well and good, but hopefully we'll be back to live performances in the next 12 months and we'll get through this together. Encouragement like that is much appreciated, I'm sure, by everyone in opera right now. Of course, most people don't just rock up bearing gifts for operatic good causes. WNO has around 1,500 loyal donors, giving amounts of anything between five and £50,000 a year. But keeping the money coming in is obviously challenging. Alison Dunnett heads up WNO's fundraising effort, and I asked her why people give and whether that motivation is holding up in difficult times. Yes, I mean, it's quite interesting during this current COVID situation, particularly from our individual supporters. Um, we've had a lot of messages telling, telling us how valuable WNO has been and is to their lives and how they feel it is of such huge value to the wider community. And that sort of resonates really with, with, with the general feedback that we get from supporters. Um, the, the, the base of it is, is this love of opera, love of WNO. They want to help the company continue for others in the future. Um, and that really drives their motivation, I think, to give. I mean, one, one lady who joined the WNO Friends with a £50 donation this year said she felt it was important to support WNO because we were a national gem that should be treasured. And that sort of sums it up <laughs> to me. Yeah, that's very touching, isn't it? What other sort of um, people have you got there that um, you know you, you know about who who told you some of the reasons that they give? 
mean, that's obviously at the at, at one end of the spectrum, and then at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, we've we've got a fantastic gentleman, Rolf Olsen, who most recently made a gift of five hundred thousand pounds, and I know he's happy for me to to mention that, whereas many donors aren't. Um, and that was to create a bursary for young singers, and in fact, to be a bursary in memory of his wife, who he met at Swansea University, and they spent their life coming to the opera and seeing WNO, and they wanted to put something back into the company uh, that would also act as a legacy when they're, when they're not with us anymore. What do you think they get out of it? I mean, it, you can't say clearly, because there's so many different motivations, but generally, can you say there's a common theme I think that at WNO, we've found it's very much more of a philanthropic drive than a transactional or benefit-driven drive. Of course, people love being invited to a reception, meeting cast and creative team after a performance, coming to an exclusive event. But all of that is actually just the drive of being closely connected to the company and being involved in the work of the company. So even what may seem to be a benefit is actually just part of their relationship with us. So I genuinely think that from an individual perspective at WNO, it's largely their love of opera and sharing and, and maintaining that, that love of opera for, for others. You know, other organisations, I think that there can be more of a transactional drive, but I think we're lucky in that sense. It's obviously very different for sponsors. It, it can never purely be philanthropy. So there have been some recent controversies, haven't there? Um, you know, we've seen some of the big London institutions giving money back uh, to donors because of um, controversies surrounding those donors. Um, where does the WNO draw the line when it comes to accepting gifts of money? Yes, that's a tricky one. Um, I mean, in my view, and actually as a result of some of these recent controversies, I've spoken to quite a few colleagues in the sector and very few people actually have a written blanket policy on what donations are acceptable or unacceptable and I think it's a very nuanced approach because um, you know the world changes very quickly public opinion changes in terms of what's considered to be acceptable um, so I think as fundraisers our job is to do our research raise any potential issues and then our board needs to make that decision whether to refuse or accept a gift on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, I mean, we've seen cases in the charity sector where issues were not apparent at the time the gift was made, and then maybe 10, 20 years later, they face this agonizing decision about whether they should return the gift. Um, I mean, fortunately, we've never had that situation. But I think it's tricky. I think organizations need to be mindful of it. And I think there needs to be some due diligence, but I don't think that you can have a blanket policy about what's in and what's out. Is it hard work, Alison, raising all this money? Of course, it's always hard work um, because we will, you know, I'd like to be proved wrong, but I don't think I've ever been in an arts fundraising job where we can say we've raised enough. So you will always be trying to raise yet more. Um, and I think that's why fundraisers have to be very resilient and motivated um, because you could easily become disillusioned. Um, but obviously, again, it's that passion that drives us and drives most people that work in the arts. Um, it's a passion actually to succeed for the company, but also to convey that to the people that you're bringing in to give money. Again, it's a two-way relationship. And I think that's what the team, I'm very lucky I've got 10 passionate and dedicated 
fundraisers in the team, the team all come from, come from that place that building a relationship with your supporters is really the route to success and listening to what they um, are interested in and want and need from you. And then that's how you make it work. When you look at surveys, they, they suggest that uh, giving money to the arts is quite low in people's priority list. Yes, and, and as you say, that there are quite regular surveys done and, it, and it, the situation never improves or, or changes. I think it's something like 4% 4, 4 of all philanthropic giving in the UK goes to arts and culture. Um, and actually a lot less than that goes to opera, inevitably. So we are all... Um, in a very small pool, trying to raise as much as we possibly can. So it, 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 is, it is difficult to keep making the case, and I think it's going to get more difficult, obviously, coming out of the, the COVID situation, um, you know, where other charitable causes are going to be maybe forefront of people's minds before the arts. Well, you've got to be optimistic, right, in your job? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been fundraising for, for 30 years, dare I say it, and pretty much all the time, we say it's getting harder and harder. You know, we've gone through financial crises um, and we're always saying that it's getting more difficult, but yet we always manage to somehow pull, you know, the rabbit out of the hat. Um, and, you know, and e even in this situation, we have to see that some things will become more difficult, but, but there will be opportunities perhaps to see funding in, in other areas. I mean, WNO is very much looking now at you know, what we mean to society and what value we bring to society and perhaps how we do things differently. And that in itself will throw up opportunities, I think, to reach different sorts of supporters and funders. Yeah, yeah. Having to come up with wizard wheezes to raise money all the time, are you? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Because it might not seem on the outside to be a creative job, but actually it's an incredibly creative job because you are constantly thinking about how you know, what, what WNO or your company does can be conveyed in an interesting and exciting way to people to, to draw them in to support you. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a very creative area of work. Well, I better let you get back to your fundraising then. It's a, it's a touch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Gareth. I just wanted to say to anyone listening that I too am available for sponsorship. Donations, large and small, accepted. In return... I'll wear a t-shirt with your company name emblazoned across the front, all the way through future podcasts. How's that? Actually, and more seriously, if you've been inspired by this episode to help Welsh National Opera with some money, you can do so online by visiting wno.org.uk forward slash donate. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please tell someone about it or write a review. And why not subscribe so you don't miss future episodes? Next time, I'm asking Daisy Evans what it takes to be an opera director. Bye.